Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled, per usual, for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on New and Noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that, enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode. So today, really thrilled to have Rob Brewster on with us. Uh, Rob's been a vice president at Salesforce, Eloqua, Jive, Twilio, a bunch of places. And now he is the CEO at GoForms. Uh, additionally, Rob is an investor and advisor to many companies. Uh, we met through Mark Robert. Rob, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Hey, Elias. Thank you for the opportunity and excited to talk to folks. And uh, yeah, I'm excited as well. Perfect. And uh, for everyone listening, uh, Rob's Dalmatian is also on the call today, uh, Sherman. So if Sherman might chime in with some answers as well. <laughs> he's got a lot to say. He's, uh, he's been doing this for five years now, so he knows the drill. Perfect. 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 Um, so, I mean, I'd love to just jump straight in. You have so much amazing experience at some of the best and largest companies um, in tech. I, I'm curious, like as a CEO today at GoForms, what are some of the most kind of important lessons in your tool chest that you're bringing to this company? Because you joined um, first as VP of sales and, and then became CEO. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I, you know, uh, it's, it's been a, incredible ride, quite frankly. And I've tried to take, you know, all the goodness from some of the great companies that you mentioned. And quite frankly, everybody makes mistakes. You try and learn from those mistakes along the way. And, um, you know, I think we also have this concept of playbooks, right? You know, Mark's big on playbooks. And, you know, I've taken my playbook from Salesforce and on to Eloqua and, you know, on to Twilio, but you have to tweak it every time you get there. So, uh, you know, Twilio, as an example, you know, being in the, you know, communications API space was a lot different than selling software like CRM or marketing. So you tried to take some of the best practices of what you've learned. And a lot of that was really around management style. Like, you know, how do you uh, motivate people? How do you remain transparent? How do you prove that you care? And then, frankly, how do you just make good decisions? And, um you know, those, those were a lot of the things that I learned from those companies that I was able to apply at other places. And clearly at GoForms, uh, you know, moving from sales to CEO, it was, uh, you know, a learning experience from the standpoint of I understood sales and marketing, but, you know, product was new to me. Uh, managing the HR function was new to me and just tried to apply some of the same principles. So let's go there, because I think a lot of the time on, on this show, we, we talk about specific marketing or sales or, or go to market strategies and playbooks. But a topic that's often like overlooked is motivating people. And I love that you brought that up. So how do you motivate people? Well, you know, everybody's motivated differently. And I think that's the first thing you have to realize is, you know, you can't just, you know, not everybody's money motivated, not everybody's, 
you know, wants to be the manager of the team. I think it's uh, important to have those open and honest communications. And, you know, when I join a company, you're usually, you know, I've never been a founder. So you're usually walking into an existing team that you've inherited and you've got to build a culture and, and, and start thinking about the team that you want to add to it. But I'm a, I'm a very open and honest communicator. So I'll, I'll ask them point blank, you know, where are you today and where, are you, where do you want to be tomorrow and how can I help get you there? And I've been fortunate that most teams that I've managed, you know, GoForms included, when I started at GoForms, I inherited two salespeople and two young ladies. I sat down and said, you know, where do you want to be? And one was extremely money motivated. She's like, I want to have my quota. I want to have my territory. I want you to help me close business and I want to make a lot of money. And the next one was, you know, hey, I'm going to get my MBA and I want to manage a team someday. And the good news is both happened. You know, one became my manager and one made a lot of money. So uh, I think it's great when you can have that kind of synergy and, and everything works out. There are occasions where, you know, you may have people that want the same thing. And, um, you know, you just got to find a way to complement your team to have those folks that are motivated by, I just, I just want to go close business and then find the others that, that have a different career path. And you want to find a way to help them with that career path. You know, I can even go back to Salesforce when I had folks who would say, I want to get better at this, you know, and that this might be, I want to be a better presenter or I want to, you know, sell my ideas better or, you know, there's a skill that they need. And I think just, just being able to talk to people about what they need and how you can help them is, you know, ultimately what it's all about. I, I think it goes back to just being a good people person and caring. Is there something on the flip side to that? You know, you have a ton of experience. So I'd imagine you've had a lot of opportunities to work through things that were challenging for you. Do you have an example of something that was maybe one of the more hard lessons learned in motivating people? Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, sometimes you have to have the difficult conversation of someone may say to you because they think it's what you want to hear, or maybe it's even what they think they want to do, where somebody will say, hey, I... I want to be a manager and I, I want to be the vice president of sales one day. But then you realize that their behavior doesn't match what they claim that they want to be. And, and I think we've all been there, right? It, it's somebody who really is a kind of individual contributor, moneymaker, but they say, oh, I want to be the team leader and I you know, want to, want to manage the team. But then you realize, man, there's a major disconnect in what you told me and what I see from you every day. So sometimes you have to have a conversation with someone that says, you told me that. Why do you feel that way? You know, what makes you think you're going to be a great manager and what skills do you feel like you need? And if you don't see that coming from them or if they're not willing to take your advice to move to that next level, sometimes you've got to go, hey, look, I know that's what you told me you want to do. I'm not seeing it. And, and maybe you need to rethink what your career path is based on that. And that's not a bad thing, but it's, it, it is a conversation you need to have. Totally. No, it makes perfect sense. All right. So let's, let's move from motivation to um, some of the more go-to-market growth playbooks that you have been working to deploy at GoForms. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you guys, I don't know how comfortable you are talking about revenue numbers specifically, but um, you know, where are you in the, in the scheme of sprinting and what are some of the things that you have been augmenting to drive growth? Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> GoForms, uh, as the name kind of implies, we're, we're taking paper-based processes and we're moving them to digital. So we have an incredible inbound funnel. I would say 98% of our business comes through people just doing a search on you know mobile inspection forms. They find us, uh, they upload their form, they customize it a bit, and they're off and running. And in many cases, it's self-service, which is a great sales model. 
But we also have some enterprise customers that are much more complex that have, you know, hundreds of forms. They want to integrate with other systems and they want to change their business process based on the fact that they're moving to digital. So when we started or when I started with the company in 2016, we were doing about one point five million in revenue. Uh, Today, we're coming up on eight and um, feeling good about where we're heading towards that magical number of 10. But one of the things that um, I did when I took over the company, as mentioned, I was um, head of sales And then after about two years, I took over as the CEO. And there were really three things I wanted to change inside of the company that were both culturally and they were around go to market because I thought they were lacking under prior leadership. The first is what I called eyeballs on us. And eyeballs on us really meant if people knew that we existed, we would win business. So as you might imagine, you're probably going, wow, forms, you know, paper, clearly that problem's been solved. But we were dealing with Fortune 500 companies, multi-billion dollar organizations that were literally walking around with a clipboard and a piece of paper and a pencil. And they were inspecting multi-million dollar pieces of equipment. So once they realized that we exist and how easy it was to use us, uh, we won. So, you know, eyeballs on us was a big one. So that was giving marketing more dollars to spend, finding more creative ways through partnerships to get more people to find us. And then we created, instead of just having a typical management team meeting, we created an eyeballs on us team, which included people from product, from marketing, from account management. And so we still do to this day, a weekly meeting on how are we getting more eyeballs on us? Uh, The other two, I'll go a little quicker. Uh, The other was protect the base. We had an amazing install base of customers, but I didn't feel like we were serving them correctly. So we created another team called protect. And then finally, we had one that at the time was called build products that our customers will pay for. And today we just call it product. But believe it or not, early in our cycle, we were actually building things that our customers were not asking for because we thought it was innovative or we thought it was cool. And I would always ask the question of the head of sales, well, who asked for this? And the answer would be, oh, I don't know, but isn't this neat? And you know, my answer today is, well, we're not here to build something neat. We're here to build something that people want to pay money for. So Those three things were, in my opinion, game changers for the company because it really let everybody know what we were trying to accomplish. And then we created these smaller teams that were focused on accomplishing those goals. And we look at it every week and we still do. And I can't imagine those will change. I love that. I love the idea of of rallying folks on a specific team around a specific North Star metric like Eyeballs on Us, for example. That's that's brilliant. So did you ha- did you run into any issues rolling that out? Like, was there resistance? I wouldn't say there was resistance. I think people were looking for, I think it's probably one of the reasons I took over the company is we were all looking for some guidance, some reason why, you know, it kind of goes back to motivation. Not everybody's motivated by, you know, the almighty dollar. A lot of people are motivated by the impact that they can have in the organization. And one of the things that's been unique about GoForms as opposed to, you know, Salesforce or Eloqua is the teams, you know, relatively young and relatively inexperienced. So the ability to put them in a room, you know, with my management team, who's, you know, quite frankly, got a lot more experience and, and have them participate in those conversations and have their ideas heard and implemented and to learn from them, I think has been really impactful for the company. So now let's talk about some of the companies you've advised or um, invested in. Yeah. Maybe some that are in that similar, you know, one post-product market fit, a million to 10 million sprint. Um, are there any examples where you could speak to something that wasn't clicking? They were kind of stuck 
And then the realization, whether it's a playbook, a strategy, or or just a simple realization that unlocked the next growth sprint. Yeah, the 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 advising role has been a lot of fun, and they've all been different. Um, you know, typically you you have an agreement that says you you have this amount of time from me, and this is what you hired me to do. And some will take full advantage of it, and exactly in the manner of it was spelled out. Some, quite frankly, don't take advantage of it enough, and others. You know, you may have to pull back and go, wait a minute, you know, this is not my full time job. So you have to kind of balance that. But I'll, I'll give one example. One of the first that I advised, um, it was a, a early stage and they had just gotten um, their Series A funding and were very excited about the idea of now that I have this money, it's time to go hire a VP of sales. And, you know, my my question was, you know, who's the best salesperson in the company right now? And the answer was clearly the two founders because they had the passion for what they had built. And my opinion was don't go hire a VP of sales because a VP of sales, you know, they, they, they have their playbook and they have their network, but they're not necessarily used to being the person that carries the bag or willing to roll up their sleeves and make the phone calls. Uh, Frankly, the best salesperson is still you. So I would highly recommend you take, you know, a quarter of that money and go hire your first SDR and go get somebody from an Oracle or a Salesforce, somebody that's been really well trained, but maybe you know two years into their career, it's not what they had hoped for. Put them in a position where they're managing your inbound funnel, they're managing your, your outbound. And when they actually find leads uh, where you've got a decision maker and it's qualified, they bring you in like you're the VP of sales for the next year or two. And then hopefully when you get so busy that you're no longer doing the job you did as the founder or CTO or CEO or whatever your role may be, that you actually need a VP of sales. Hopefully that person has grown into a director level role and you can continue to grow them. Or, you know, after you hire a few more, then you bring in the VP of sales. But I've I've never been a fan of your first hire on the sales floor as a VP. And uh, that advice was taken. And I'm actually very happy to say that the person that they hired as their first SDR is now their director of sales and they're growing. That's awesome. It's amazing. We see the same thing over and over and over again on the marketing side where, you know, so so they raise a bunch of money. They're eager to hire a CMO or VP of marketing only to realize that that person isn't going to roll up their sleeves in the way that they want to. And, you know, it's such a costly mistake because, you know, the probability of getting it wrong is high. And then, you know, not only did you waste that incredibly high salary, which is probably, you know, 2x that of the founder, if not more, and then you're, you've got to start over again. And, and, you know, you can make a smaller mistake with an SDR. And quite frankly, I think the probability of making a mistake is slim if you hire the right person. Right. Completely. Okay. Give us another. Let's, let's keep going. Well, I'd probably go, uh, not necessarily to the investor side, but I, I, let's, let's tell a story around Salesforce, just early days there. I think people sometimes forget, you know, in 2005 to 2008, when I was there, it was a, it was a different game. And uh, I ran alliances there for the Americas and alliances at the time was primarily the SI channel. And so systems integrators. And this is at a time when we had companies like, you know, Blue Wolf and Astadia and Model Metrics and Aperio, you know, not household names at the time. They are today. And we were just getting to a point where we were able to attract the Accentures, Deloitte's, um, you know, Price Waterhouses of the, of, the, of the day. And one of the big challenges we had there is partners initially at Salesforce were basically delivery capacity. 
you know, we didn't have enough services people to manage the delivery capacity that we had for all the business that we were closing. So these guys were just, you know, so happy to be getting calls from a rep to say, hey, come implement Salesforce at this company. So it was just the wild, wild west of everybody just going out there and implementing Salesforce. And what happened when I got there is we had to put a little bit more structure around it. So we started coming up with certification programs to make sure that they were you know, qualified to do the work that they were doing. And then it became a bit of a feeding frenzy that when a big deal was closed, they all wanted the deal. And you had to kind of follow who was going to do the work. So we created something we called a, a partner vertical matrix where we basically said, hey, it, it, it just kind of happens that you guys have been doing a lot of media accounts or you've been doing a lot of financial services accounts. It's time for you to start building some expertise and some best practices around how do you implement Salesforce for that vertical. And a lot of pushback initially because everybody wanted to do everything, but we started to position them in those areas. And then it became easier for the reps to determine, I'll bring in this partner for this reason, which also created more value for the customer. And then lo and behold, Salesforce starts to verticalize their sales team. And that turned into a real great go-to-market, not only for partners, but for our customers and our reps. And I think actually drove a lot of the success that they see today. Probably one of the proudest things I, I have on my resume of being able to, at the very early stages of that company, to set up a program that's quite frankly working for them today. And that's a model I built at Eloqua, Twilio, and we're trying to accomplish here at GoForms. Do you think a company needs to be of a certain size before that works or what, like yeah. if, if for the, for the founders who are listening and the executives who are listening, even the investors who are listening, trying to think through how they can apply, you know, such a, a potent lesson or strategy within the organizations they support, what, what would you say the criteria are to determine if it's a good match? Well, I think your install base will tell you, uh, as an example, GoForms as small as we are, you know, in that $8 million range. Uh, I can already tell you that, you know, 40% of my business is in construction, 30% of it, it's in energy and, you know, the remainder are field service type use cases across other industries. Um, so we've already verticalized our sales team from the perspective of when you talk to a construction company, you know, they don't want to see a demo of some food service or retail type uh, scenario. So I think once you get critical mass of an install base and you can start to say, these are the customers we serve or these are their personas inside of a customer we serve, it's always wise to get your sales team focused on that. Uh, and we do that with, you know, not only can we have qualified use cases to talk to them about, but we can build templates and best practices around the way, like we know the eight construction forms that a construction company is going to use so that when we have that conversation, we have more credibility. And then from a services perspective, they'll not only know which forms you need to build and how that integrates with your business process, but maybe which backend systems you want to connect to because uh, you know, a construction company is going to have a different backend system than say a healthcare company. So I think just it, it, gave, it gains credibility in your own sales cycle, and then it gains a lot of credibility in your ability to make them successful as they continue to use the product. So I, I think this is something you want to institute early, but you can't do it out of the gate because you've, you've got to really understand your customer base. Makes sense. So as we wind this down, I'd like to ask three questions that are a little bit more per personal, um, just to help people understand kind of the mindset that it takes to be operating at the level that you're operating. Um, you know, if, if you look at your career arc so far, I mean, A, it's only continuing to build, but it's been incredibly impressive thus far. When you sit down, like if you, when you sat down at the end of 
last year and, and looked at this upcoming year, what are some of the personal goals that you have for yourself professionally? Yeah, I, you know, when I, not even just at the end of the year, when I think about my career now, um, I, I really take a lot of pride in the people. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think about, oh, my, you know, W2 was this that year or that big deal that we closed. It, it, it really is. I, I love looking at LinkedIn profiles or going to have a coffee or a drink with a former colleague and seeing there's so many people that are now CEOs, VPs of sales, VPs of service, VPs of marketing, COOs that were, you know, uh, regional account manager for me, you know, 15 years ago. So my, my, the, the biggest prideful mark for me is just knowing that all these individuals that I hopefully had an impact in have these amazing careers today. Um, that, that's what I take a lot of pride in. And that's what I continue to take a lot of pride in. I think it's one of the reasons why I enjoy the advising and the investing side so much because, you know, you can only do so much at the one company that you work at, but when you can scale that to other organizations, it's, uh, you know, my favorite thing to do. And how, how do you think about, you know, obviously being a CEO or any kind of executive in this industry is very intense. What do you do to unwind outside of work or to keep, keep you kind of level-headed? Well, you know, Sherman's staring at me right now. And uh, (laughs) uh, I've got, as we were talking about earlier, I've got a, you know, an 11 year old uh, son, a 20 year old daughter and uh, a lovely wife. And we enjoy our time together. It's one of the things that's been, you know, beneficial during COVID is, um, you know, when, when you're able to spend that time at home, I mean, I've, I've had a career traveling the world, you know, selling software for the last 20 years. I don't think I've stayed home as long as I have in my entire career and it's been great. So I don't, I don't have a lot of, you know, I'm not a golfer or, uh, you know, have any other crazy hobbies. I, I really just enjoy time with family and, uh, cooking and hanging out by the pool and just enjoying, uh, family and friends. I, I, you know, I'm social for a living. So being able to just uh, kick back and relax with the people you enjoy is, is, is what I love doing. Sounds very relaxing. I'm into it. (laughs) Um, And then the last question um, is about your mentors or folks who have, you know, you talked about being there for other people in their careers. Who's been there for you in your career? Yeah, that's a great question. And and you're right. I, I, I think the reason I, feel the way I do is because I've had that in my life. Um, you know, I'll go back to the first one for me was a gentleman by the name of Mark Bickerstaff. Uh, I, I, you know, frankly, I'm a waiter who got lucky. I, I, I found my way into high tech through, you know, hard work and chance. Uh, but when I was working at a company called Data Broadcasting, I was an inside sales manager and I had an opportunity to go to this real software company called IntelliCorp. Uh, and IntelliCorp hired me as an inside sales manager, basically, you know, an SDR. Uh, and Mark was the vice president of sales for the West who hired me, uh, then promoted me into the Western regional manager and then promoted me into the alliances director. And really just a guy who took me under his wing, you know, back in the day and just taught me a lot about, you know, being a professional salesperson. So Mark, Mark was impactful. I'd say two others that really matter. Uh, some names you clearly will know, uh, Bobby Napoltonia, who was my boss at BEA. Also, uh, when he went to Salesforce, he's the one who brought me to Salesforce. And then, you know, when I went to Eloqua, he went another direction. We remained friends and he actually brought me to Twilio. So 
Bobby's a guy that I've worked with at three different companies. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, uh, just a great guy who taught me a lot, taught me a lot about, uh, you know, back to the idea of what people may be lacking. Bobby was great at selling his ideas, had a wonderful presence, um, you know, owned a room when he walked into it. And, you know, I tried to emulate that every chance I got. And then lastly, not that I would say he was a mentor because I didn't report to him and didn't spend that much time with him. But when I think about my role as a CEO, the best CEO I've ever worked for is, you know, by far Mark Benioff at Salesforce. Uh, I've never seen a person, especially at such a large organization, say this is where we're going and have everyone get in line like you would not believe. And it's not from a fear factor or a uh, it's out of nothing other than the man knows what he's doing, incredible respect. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard the the, the V2 mom approach that Salesforce has that many a company, companies have adopted. I, I have as well. But I remember the first time I went through that back in 2005, I'm thinking, wow, this guy's got the entire company in a room and he's going to talk to us for three hours about where we're going. And then we would all scatter to build our V2 moms to you know, back that up. But there was never a question of, hmm, why are we doing that? Or shouldn't we be doing this and not that? I mean, there was just never a question about this is what we're doing and why. And I'm, I don't work there today. And clearly it's a much larger organization but I, I can tell from afar and I bet that it works the exact same way it did back when we were 1500 employees. So um, I try and take that same approach to, you know, my tiny little company. But, uh, you know, I think selling that vision and having people say that's the vision and we know where we're going, that's incredibly powerful. And he's the best at it. It's, I'm always blown away by, especially on the, like the corporate responsibility and just setting a certain tone for our industry. Yeah. There are so, so few leaders who are as effective and dedicated to pushing those limits without yeah. caring what other people think as, as Benioff. It's so yeah, impressive. He, he's really inspiring. And, um, you know, I, I, I learned a lot back then. And, and, and once again, try and uh, instill as much of that in my own day to day and and like I said, I watch them from afar today, but it seems to still be the case. Well, Rob, from one waiter who got lucky to another, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, taking the time. This was a real pleasure. Hey, my pleasure, Elias. Thank you.